Good evening, everyone. We're going to study in the next uh, three days of Mirza Hashem different uh, topics that are related to to modern science from the perspective of uh, Hasidut, Kabbalah and Hasidut, and try to learn from each topic relevant uh, ideas that can help us in our service of Hashem in our daily lives. The first topic is the general topic that we're going to discuss now. It's called counterintuition. Counterintuition is a fancy way of saying that uh, modern science doesn't uh, jive with the common sense. That almost all of the concepts from Einstein on, meaning over a hundred years, negate, contradict basic uh, basic ways of thought that we that most all people possess. So it's called counterintuitive. That's the term that's used. So obviously, the fact that for over a hundred years. Science is developing in such a way that it's all counterintuitive. That requires a lot of uh, contemplation in and of itself, meaning that the whole world is now becoming counterintuitive, meaning that, that our own lives are becoming counterintuitive, meaning that if we now expect Mirza Hashem very, very uh, soon, immediately in our days, the 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 redemption with Mashiach, so it also must be counterintuitive. So this is the first uh, topic, that how to to try to intuit counterintuition, and how to try to uh, to apply this counterintuition to our lives, what it means. The first thing is that the Kabbalah immediately understands the concept of counterintuition much more sophisticatedly than the science usually uses the term. Because science uses the term that anything that, that just seems to be against common sense is referred to as counterintuitive, meaning that all of the theories of modern science, special relativity, general relativity, quantum mechanics, string theory, it's all counterintuitive. The, the first insight that Chassidu uh, tells us is that, that just like the, the first major theory of modern science, which is relativity, tells us that everything is relative. So the same is true with the very concept of counterintuition. That counterintuition is a relative concept meaning that what for me is counterintuitive for someone else is not necessarily counterintuitive. It all depends where I'm at and what space I'm at or in the terminology of uh, Kabbalah and Chassidut, what world I'm in, that a person that uh, is in a mind space of a uh, lower dimension, so for him, certain things appear to be counterintuitive, whereas would he be at a higher level of uh, consciousness, then those very things would be intuitive. But at that higher level, as we'll see, also there is counterintuition at his level. And so it goes on and on that in every world there is the intuitive understanding or mind set of that world and then there is the counterintuitive insight that also appears in that particular world. So as we're going to explain is what we try to do always, whoever is a little bit familiar with our, uh, our method of uh, teaching, is to find proper models in the classic uh, terminology of Kabbalah and Hasidut to describe whatever topic we're relating to. And if the model is, is good, so, so by using the model, we not only gain insight uh, Kabbalistically, but we can then apply the model immediately to, to to properties of our souls, to our lives, as we said before, because every model 
corresponds to the powers of the soul. So that's what we always try to do, to create a proper model. So the model that we're going to use, as I just now said, to try to understand the, the very concept of counterintuitivity and to intuition, how that relates to, uh, to the world, to the three lower worlds. The world of action is called Asiyan. As much of the terminology I've written on the board in Hebrew, I hope that some of us uh, can read it. If not, I'll, of course, translate everything that's on the board. Just much, much easier for me to write it in Hebrew than to, to try to figure out how to, how to write it in English. We live down here in the world of Asiyah, the world of action or actually to be more exact in the physical dimension of that world of action. Above our world is a world called the world of formation, above that world is another world called the world of, of creation, Bria. Above all of these three lower worlds that the common denominator of all three is that they possess self-consciousness. That from creation down, every being in every world has a certain degree of self-consciousness, meaning separation from God as absolutely one and only and unique. But as above, all of these three uh, lower worlds is the world of Atsirut, the world of emanation, that has no distinct self-consciousness to it at all. It's purely divine. So what we're not going to explain is that when some counterintuitive insight appears in each one of the lower worlds in accordance with its level of intuition, its common sense. So what is actually happening is that there's a light from the world of Atilut in the highest world, which is appearing in that lower world. And that is what is counterintuitive. So I hope that now we'll try to make this, uh, make this clear as we proceed with the, with the examples, especially the examples from, from science. So as we said before, science will not tell you that there are different levels of counterintuition, but we are definitely going to explain that there are different levels of counterintuition. First, if this concept is a true concept, so it must have a term for it in, in Hebrew, in either in the Tanakh, in the Bible, or in Chazal, in the, in the, the literature of the sages, the Talmud. So actually there is a term, it's a very important term that has the, the second line right under counterintuition, the term for something which is against what you initially think it to be is called ifchomistab. That's the idiom, it's an idiom that appears in the Talmud. As we want to explain it actually appears in the Babylonian Talmud 19 different times. Ifcha mistabro. Ifcha means the opposite. Mistabro means makes sense. The opposite makes sense, meaning the opposite of what you initially thought to be intuitive or to make sense. What you thought to make sense does not make sense, and the very opposite of what you thought to make sense, that's what makes sense. That's called Ifcha mistabro. The initial letters of this uh, idiom, Ifram Istabro, is uh, spelled a very simple two-letter word, M, mother. Mother in Kabbalah is this Sfirah, the, the power of Bina, of understanding. Meaning that the place that there is intuition and that there sometimes the opposite of what you intuit 
relates to one's faculty, one's intellectual faculty of understanding, which is called his, his mother property. The father property of is direct insight and direct intuition that you don't have the concept of counter-intuition, that the opposite is the case. What is a very, very beautiful indication of this that I just now said? That, as we said before, this idiom is a Talmudic idiom. That when the rabbis are discussing, debating, arguing about something, so one rabbi says, I think such and such, and then someone comes and says and actually demonstrates to him that if that what you thought to be intuitive or right, correct, is the very opposite is the case. This phrase, which is the, the phrase that encapsulates the, this idea of counterintuition, appears only in the Babylonian Talmud. We know that there are two Talmuds, two versions of the Talmud. One is the Babylonian Talmud, which is a much larger in extent. The other is the Jerusalem or the Eretz Yisrael Talmud. The difference between the two Talmuds is such that the Jerusalem Talmud is very direct and straight and to the point that there's not so much shakla vitaria, there's not so much argument in the Jerusalem Talmud. That's why it's also relatively shorter. Whereas the Babylonian Talmud is a lot, a lot of discussion and argumentation until the final maskana, the final conclusion comes about. In Kabbalah, it's said that the Jerusalem Talmud represents the mindset of wisdom. Wisdom is the father principle. In the worlds, wisdom is the world of Atzilut. It's absolutely clear the presence of Hashem, Shiviti Hashem, the Negdi Tamid, I see Hashem in front of me always, therefore I do not feel myself to be a separate entity, a separate consciousness. That's a father realization. Whereas mother realization is the mind, the created mind, the created consciousness that does have its initial concepts, what is right, what is wrong, what is correct, what is not correct. And at that level, since there is definitely their self-consciousness, you can be wrong, just like you can be right. But your, your first hashkafari shona, your first thought can either be right or it can be wrong. And very often it's wrong. And even even the greatest sages, the first thought, the hata amina it's called, even a very great, great sage, can not only can be wrong, be the very opposite of the truth that becomes apparent through, through the argumentation, through the Shaklavitaria of the Babylonian Talmud. So once more, that's why this concept, this very idiom of Yifchom Yistablo appears exclusively in the Talmud Bavli, and never appears even once in the Talmud Yerushalmi, Yifchom Yistavla. Now, as we said before, the initial letters spell M, the fact that it appears exactly 19 times in the, in the uh, in Babylonian Talmud, what does 19 represent? 19 is the name of the first woman is referred to as the mother of all life, of all living being, Chava. Meaning that there's something essential that relates this idiom, Yifchom Yistavro, to the original female figure of the Torah. It either means that for the man, the woman is Yifchom Yistavro, or that for the woman in herself, in another self, the mentality is such that that either you, you the woman understands something, or she, we, you, we speak of woman's intuition. 
But that intuition is often subject to a total reverse. That if from that the very opposite is the case. And she herself can come to that realization, should come to that realization. But her mind is such that she's tuned into intuition, but not always is the initial intuition correct. And she should be able to turn around her mind and come to a to the true intuition, which is the the initial letters spell M, mother, and the, it appears exactly 19 times, Chava, M Kolchai. What does it equal? The, the, this idiom as a number, and as we all, again, as we, as our methodology is to uh, create models from Kabbalah for all the topics that we discuss, we also like to use Gematria. Uh, and uh, this phrase of Ifram Istabra actually equals 815, which is the same as, as two phrases that here are written on the board. One is Balchuva, that every Balchuva, every person that returns to Hashem, so it's some switch, what is it, again, what does it mean counterintuition? Counterintuition means there has to be some switch, some 180 degree turn, turnabout in one's mind, in one's consciousness. And that switch is what is, uh, is what is necessary for a true for a true Baal-Pulva. Bashkoko parties were now sitting here. Tomorrow evening will already be Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And uh, we're taught that the Kuala, the redemption of the redemption of Nisan, even though Rabbi Yoshua in the Gemara says that it does not require Chuva, but in Hasidot it says that, that there is a special Chuva which corresponds to this month of, of uh, Nisan. It's not like the tshuva of Tishrei. That that type of tshuva of Tishrei, of Elul and Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, that's not the tshuva which is necessary according to Rabbi Yashov for the Gula. But there is definitely a type of tshuva which is necessary. That without that tshuva, the Gula cannot come. And the difference is, is that the tshuva of Tishrei is one of hitchaskut and hishtapot, those are the terms in Hebrew. And the person knows what is correct and what is right and what is wrong. And when a person makes a cheshbon nefesh, an accounting with the own soul, he knows that I am not 100% right in accordance with what I know to be right. And so I have to improve myself, I have to strengthen myself. Once more, the normal sense of tshuva, of doing tshuva, means that I, I know, if I just think about it, I know what's right and I know what's wrong. But I, when I think, when I judge myself, when I measure myself, am I doing the right thing? Am I walking according to the right path? Yada inish b'nafshei, every individual knows that I'm not 100% okay, I'm not even 90% okay. And so I try to improve in accordance with what I know. That's the tshuva of Tishrei. But Nisan is a different thing altogether. Now we're, once more we're approaching tomorrow night Rosh Chodesh Nisan, which this is the month of redemption. And the tshuva which is required is one of Hidchatshut. Hidchatshut is just like this is the, this, the month of the spring, Chodesh Aviv, which means new life, metamorphosis. A new mindset. I didn't at all know what was right and what was wrong. Even in, in our day and age, in our generation, we speak about the tshuva, the tshuva movement. It's not like Bali tshuva of of 100, 200 years ago. 100 and 200 years ago, people who had some basic education, Jewish education, and they had some measure of judgment of what is right and what is wrong. And as we said before, if they, if they made a cheshbon nefesh in accounting with their own soul, they knew that I'm not as good as I should be, and they tried to improve if a person had, was aroused to return. 
But in this, in our age, it's not like that at all. It's a metamorphosis process. You're coming, everybody's coming from a place to the, to the, of the opposite. With a totally opposite mindset. And now his whole head and his whole heart and his whole soul has to turn around, totally. To see something totally new, to be reborn, a new being. That's a much greater, that's the essence of tshuva. That's the tshuva of Nisana. That's the tshuva that is necessary for, for the redemption and for Mashiach. And this month in Nisan we were redeemed in the past without, once more, the nation was born anew. And in this month we also have to be reborn anew. Being reborn anew is just like this concept of counterintuition. But the tshuva that is necessary for the redemption is a tshuva of, of counter-intuition. It's not a tshuva once more that I, I know what's right and I know that I'm not 100% okay and now I have to improve myself. No. It's a tshuva just like, again, the hashkoka parties of modern science, that, that, it's, that what I thought is just totally, totally wrong. My whole perspective on life is just something else altogether. I require a totally new perspective on life. Well, that's counterintuition. So again, that's the that's why we brought this game up here. That the counterintuition, the the phrase for which in the in the literature of the sages, is equals That's a true Baal Tshuva, of Mashiach. Then we brought another Gemara here that it also equals the word as a simple word. Eight fifteen equals the word Shtika. Shtika means silence. The most important phrase that we maybe many of us remember from Pirkei Avot is Siag Lokot Mashtika. A fence around wisdom is silence. If a person wants to come to true intuition, that is true wisdom, as we said before, the true intuition, which is counterintuitive vis-a-vis the previous intuition or the previous common sense, a person has to be quiet, totally quiet, quietness, shtika. If mistava depends upon shtika. But that's the fence that what guards the true intuition. Why? Because once more, shtika in Hasidus called Chash or Hachna'ah, that a person is, is ready and willing to acknowledge, to give up his previous way of thinking. As now beginning the famous story that when Einstein first, uh, first, uh, discovered and uh, taught his special theory of relativity. There were great uh, scientists, physicists, that were already older people in his time. And uh, they said that, uh, that it looks good on paper, it sounds good, it looks good, but I'm too old. I'm too old to, uh, to get into this new way of thinking about the universe. So once more, you can't be you can't be too old. You have to be willing to, and this is this is the the function of uh, the function of shtika of quietness to be able to give up your previous way of thinking in order to assume a totally new way of thinking about the world. And this is the most important thing about modern science, that actually uh, the modern scientists can have something very, very important to teach us. That they're willing to make this existential leap of giving up on not just common sense, but of what everybody thought was true, Newtonian mechanics, Hamiltonian mechanics, all of the previous the previous stages of uh, Maxwell, everything had to be given up in order to assume a new, totally new way of thinking about the world. So that's a very, very important Musa Haskell. 
that we have to be ready to give up our tfusei chashiva, is the idiom in Hebrew, our mindsets, in order to wake up to a new spring. This is the spring, the Chodesh Aviv, a new birth, a new insight, which is definitely counterintuitive vis-a-vis everything that we thought up until now. So this is the general, the general idea. Now we'll turn to what's written on the board on the right. And we'll try to begin with our first scientific uh, understanding. The counterintuitive thinking of special relativity is counterintuitive vis-a-vis to the intuition, to the initial intuition of the Buddha Vasya. The counterintuition that corresponds to the world of Yitzhirah is the counterintuition of general relativity. And we're going to go on to now explain this. And the counterintuition of the world of Briah is the counterintuition of quantum mechanics. Now, before we go on, again, we're going to try to discuss and to explain very simply all of these uh, uh, seemingly uh, difficult and complex uh, ideas. Modern uh, physics has these two theories of relativity, both of them thanks to, to Einstein. And even though you might think that it's just two different stages of the same thing, never, nevertheless, scientists to this day do not include the two as one theory, as two different theories. Special relativity is a theory by itself, and general relativity is obviously builds upon special relativity but there's theory by itself and then there's quantum mechanics then there's another thing called string theory as well explain it string theory doesn't have the same essence of counterintuitivity as do the other three there's something weaker much much weaker even though their string theory is uh, 10, 11, 26 dimensions and all kinds of weird things. But the essence of counter-intuition is not so present in string theory as it is in the, these three theories which are accepted. String theory is not yet an accepted theory. The three theories of the 20th century which are accepted universally are special relativity and general relativity and quantum mechanics. And all of these three, each of these three has a special element of counterintuition in it that is counterintuitive vis-a-vis the three worlds that we'll, that we'll explain now. Clearly, each one of these theories can be explained in many, many different ways. So we'll just take one most important uh, facet of each of these theories to explain what is the counterintuitivity and how it is counterintuitive in a specific world. The world of Asiyah, this lower world that we live in, is a world that people think that, uh, that I'm doing things, that I'm moving, I'm moving ahead, I'm moving forward in life. If I come to you and I say that you think that you're progressing, but you're, you're stagnant, you're not moving any place. You just think that you're moving, but you're really not moving. That's counterintuitive in the world of Asya. The world of Asya is a world of action. Everybody's into some uh, something. You're into something, you work hard, get up in the morning, go to work. On the go, on the move. If I come along and say to you, 
you're you're just uh, it's an it's an illusion. Motion is relative. You're just judging yourself relative to something else, but that other thing is also. If you think that it's rest, it's it's it's, a, it's in motion relative to you. You're at rest. There's only one thing which is really moving. That one thing which is really moving is light, the speed of light, and it's always moving with constant velocity. But all of the velocities are relative. All of the velocities can be considered to be stagnant and standing still, because it's just all each one is relative to the other. Let's say it in a different, slightly different way. The very concept of space and time, which according to special relativity, become one reality, which is called space-time. Even without without a hyphen in between, it's all just one thing: space-time. Up until Einstein and special relativity, so space-time, space—it uh, wasn't one thing; it was two things: space and time, and they were thought to be constant unchangeable. They were thought to be simply the backdrop, what's called the record of the events of the world, that events, motion and events take place within the framework, the general framework of space and time, which are constants, which are just there. That's the way Newton understood space and time. The space and time are constant entities, and everything takes place within this context. That the space and time are simply the context in which all events take place. But space and time do not enter and do not change because of events that take place within space and time. Once more, just the backdrop, it's called, of events. Comes along special relativity, and I says, "No, that's not the case at all." That space and time are part of the event. Space and time are affected by the event. If you're going very, very fast, so time becomes less, slower, and length becomes shorter. It's called time dilation and the Lorentz effect. These two phenomena, meaning that time and space. Are part of the event, and they change. They're variables; they're not constants. This immediately, for instance, does away with many, many problems like the age of the universe, because it's all relative. Time is a relative thing. If you're going very, very fast, so time is very, very slow. If you'd be traveling at the speed of light, according to Einstein, so time would stop. Wouldn't be any. Lapse of time whatsoever. What is the only constant in the world? The speed of light itself. No matter how fast you go, whatever frame of reference, whatever velocity you possess, whatever direction you look, a ray of light is always traveling at exactly the same speed, no matter what. There's one constant thing in the world, which is the light and the speed of light. Everything else, including space and time itself, which is now called space-time, is all relative. Relative to who? To the observer. Relative to the observer means that it's become a subjective reality rather than a purely objective reality. According to Newton, space and time are purely objective states of being. Now it depends upon the observer, meaning that space and time become subjective, not purely objective. Now this is all of this that we've said now is is totally counterintuitive at the level of asiya, meaning that it's a a reflection of atzirut, the phrase 
is basing ourselves upon now is a phrase from the Market of Mervish, the disciple of the Bashemto, that Atzidut is present in every world. And Atzidut present in every world is the counterintuition vis-a-vis that world. We'll explain this more and more as we progress. It's also a very, very important saying of the Baal Shem Tov that relates to this. For a moment, let's go back to our two Talmuds. We said that the Talmud, the Talmud Yerushalmi, never even once has this idiom, the idiom of counterintuition, where the Talmud Bavli has the expression 19 different times. So again, I, would, I can ask the question, the Talmud Yerushalmi, since it's Chokmah, it's initially, the Chathila, it's Chokmah, so it's, it's, the intuition is, is correct from the outset. There's no need to switch heads, no need to turn around, to turn about. Whereas the Talmud Bavli, which is Bina, which is called, it's in the dark, as the, the sages themselves say that relatively the, the sages of the Babylonian Talmud are in the dark relative to the sages of the Jerusalem Talmud. So therefore they have their initial ideas, but very often, or exactly 19 times, if Chomistapa, the very opposite is the truth. So now the question that I can ask is, what, at the, at, what, at the end result, which is deeper, which is more essential, the person whose insight was correct from the outset, or the person who, whose insight was wrong, he had what he thought was intuition, he was in, had intuition, because what common sense is intuition. His common sense, his, his initial intuition told him such and such and such, but Afterwards, Yifchom Yisrael, it became clear that it's the very opposite. He has to turn his head around altogether. So I might think that that person who, who, who has to have his head turned around is nonetheless not at the level of the person that was from the outset correct. Or I might say the opposite. I must say that that person was in the dark. And now Ephraim Estabron has come to a new, real, a totally new realization, is even higher than that person that from the outset it was, everything was right, was in place. So the truth is that this is exactly the Matloket and the Talmud, who is greater at Sadiq, the Chathila, or about Tshuva. They come to the opinion that the tzaddik is always greater than the Baal That's one opinion. That's not the way the Raman Paskins decide the halakha. So, as we said before, the Talmud Yerushalmi is always would be higher than the Talmud Bavli because the Talmud Yerushalmi is, is on the ball, on the right road and path from the outset. and doesn't have to be turned around. Its head doesn't have to be turned over. But the Talmud... Bavli, which is Bina, often has to have its head turned over. But according to the opinion, which is the opinion that we decide the halakha by, that the Bhagavad is greater means that his, his delight, the insight that he achieves at the end, after the Yitzchum Yistapa is even a, a deeper, it's called Yitron Ha'or Minachoshes, it's called the advantage of light that comes from darkness. Meaning that it was good that your initial common sense was wrong, just so long as you have sufficient this power of Shtikav quiet and be able to quiet yourself and give up your initial way of thinking and be able to accept a totally new way of thinking about the whole universe. And then it was Kedai, it was worthwhile, it was very, very worthwhile that you had to make that switch much better than had you known, so to speak, the truth from the beginning. The light of the consciousness that comes from the metamorphs of, tur- of turning your mind around, turning your heart and turning your consciousness around, which is called counterintuition, 
is is the bow to bow which is much greater the place that the bow to bow stands the greatest sadi cannot stand there right, so once more this is the absolute that shines in the darkness of each one of the respective worlds that we we'll now explain so, so first so now go back special relativity is reorientation the word that we we'll use for it is total reorientation towards the universe especially as we'll explain more in the continuation it makes it does two things first of all it connects and unites energy and matter by the most famous equation in all of science which is e equals mc squared that's special relativity and not only does it do that but it makes space and time a part of the event not just the backdrop upon which the event takes place meaning that space and time itself is relative concepts that change according to the observer and the only thing which is constant is the speed of light so interesting that nowadays in the, the most recent developments in thoughts of science that we know that the scientists in order to to come closer to einstein's dream of unifying all of the four forces of nature come up with all kinds of new ideas all the time one of the ideas is that maybe the speed of of, of the speed of light itself see the speed of light maybe it, it itself changes with time maybe at the beginning of creation the speed of light was much much greater than it is now much faster than it is now this would also explain millions of things in accordance with the Torah this is now a theory which is gaining more and more popularity as something that can't be proven as of yet even though there are attempts to try to indicate or to find this reflected in nature that at one time the speed of light might have been greater than it is now for Einstein the speed of light for the special theory of relativity the speed of light is the one and only constant in the universe the Rebbe taught us that all of the laws of nature are not necessarily constants we can't use what's called extrapolation to assume that the laws of nature as we observe them today were always the, the same as they are today meaning that the speed of light itself could have been different but the, the most modern scientists are now saying this meaning even or something which is equivalent that the fine structure constant could have been different that would change reality totally these are things that that most most modern research is probing into nonetheless what the special theory of relativity does it says that 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 everything depends upon the observer the only constant in the world is the speed of light that is counterintuitive in the world of action world of action is the world that it appears to you that a person that's on the move is on the move a person that's at rest is at rest and it appears once more as we said before that space and time are backdrops to reality they don't participate within events that take place as Newton thought that's the world of Asya special theory of relativity is counterintuitive to that to add to the normal mindset of the world of action what's more what does it boil down to as we said in the beginning it boils down to the person can be running running and running his whole life and at the end he he he, he went no place he went no place Who, who's the only person that really is going someplace the person that's attached to light if you're on the beam 
if you're on the beam of light, then you're really moving. Light is the Torah. If you are not on that beam of light, so you're, you're stagnant. You're not going anyplace. You can be running and running as fast as you want, but you're really not going anyplace. That's what it boils down to. That's the absolute counterintuition of the world of Asiya. What about the world of Yitzhirah? General relativity posits, first of all, takes into, into consideration gravity, which was not considered in special relativity. Gravity is one of the four forces of nature that we'll go on to explain in Ritz Hashem in the continuation. It's the most elusive of all the forces. But uh, the realization that Einstein came to 10 years after his his first theory of special relativity was that once more from the, from ex the experience of the observer, this is called the equivalence principle, that from my experience to experience a pull of gravity and to experience acceleration are equivalent to one another, the same as one another. And this has far, far-reaching consequences. Once more, general relativity is based upon the equivalence principle, that this was a tremendous eureka insight of Einstein. The, the example that's brought is a person is going up an elevator, you're in, you're in an elevator, and the elevator is not just going up at, an, at, a, at a fixed speed, it's accelerating. If the elevator is going up in acceleration, so you feel a very strong pull down, your, your legs are pulled down to the floor of the elevator. That pull down that you feel when you're going up in an accelerating elevator is identical to what you would feel in a gravitational field. The insight that experiencing acceleration is identical to experiencing gravity. This is the equivalence principle, which is the basis of general relativity. It sounds pretty simple, but it, as we said, it has far, far-reaching consequences. And the farthest-reaching consequence, or the, the, the essence of the theory that's written here on the board, is that what comes out of this is that space is not flat. According to Newton, according to Euclid, Euclidean geometry, that all of science, Newton, all scientists base themselves until Einstein upon Euclidean geometry, space is flat. Comes along Einstein, and thanks to a mathematician that, uh, that lived uh, some time before, Riemann, he had the necessary Kalian vessels, mathematical vessels, to, to express space, space-time is now one, that, that exhibits curvature. And what gravity is, according to Einstein, is that anything that possesses mass curves space around it. And things fall into that, just proceed in straight lines, so to speak, straight in italics, in accordance with the curves, the curvature of space which is produced by any body that possesses mass. This concept of, of curvature the space is curved. Now, we're, again, what is the counterintuition here? We're leaving our normal concept of geometry. Now, abandoning, have to give up on Euclidean geometry vis-a-vis -vis the universe. Doesn't mean that you don't study geometry in school. Simply Euclidean geometry, but vis-a-vis -vis the, the real universe. So we have to now reset our minds altogether that instead of things being flat, instead of space, space-time being straight, straightforward and flat, it possesses curvature, it means it's either concave or convex. What does that symbolize? That, that space itself 
that you take something which you thought was flat or straight and it now becomes either convex or concave. That is called Kehomer Biyad Hayotzer. This is the insight, the counterintuition in the world of Yitzhira is actually the deepest insight into what Yitzhira means. Yitzhira means, the word Yotzer formation is a potter that has a potter's wheel and makes pottery. He takes Homer gallon, raw material, clay, and he curves it. And a clay, a vessel, an alakha that is straight, that doesn't have any receptacle to it, any betki bull, is not mikabel tomas, not defined as a clay. It has to, it has to be concave or convex. That idea that reality itself, that space, space-time itself has intrinsic curvature to it, that's the, that's the absolute Yitzhirah formation of the world of formation. The next level is a level of quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics as we wrote here on the board, the new insight, the counterintuitive insight of quantum mechanics is called uncertainty. Uncertainty means, this is Heisenberg's famous uncertainty principle, which, mean, which states and means that you cannot know simultaneously the position and the momentum of the velocity of, a, of any elementary particle, any particle. Now, at the beginning, people thought that that means that it's just our problem. Once more, it's the problem of the observer. The observer, as soon as you observe one property, if we're like looking hard at the position of a certain particle, we cannot, at the same time, simultaneously know its velocity and its momentum. But later, it became clear that what quantum science is actually saying is something so profound and so ununderstandable, unfathomable that it's saying that in truth, in essence, a particle does not have exact position and exact velocity or momentum at the same time. It's not just as a problem of the, it's my problem as an observer. It's not just a subjective problem, it's a true objective fact. Which means that particles are no longer things, like Dirac said, that an electron is not a thing. It's it's not, it's something else. It's a wave function, it's something else, it's a probability. A wave function means it's a probability function. There are many, many different ways of formalizing and trying to understand. One of the greatest of the uh, American Jewish physicists, Feynman, used to say that relativity, maybe only a few people in the world can understand what it's about. But quantum mechanics, no, there's nobody on earth. He was the greatest. Nobody, nobody understands what it's about. Nobody can fathom. Nobody can understand what it is. What the, what the uncertainty principle is actually saying. The world of Yitzhi, let's go back a moment for the world of Yitzhi, what it means in our service of Hashem. The rule of Asiyah, we said, what it boils down to in our service, this new way of seeing reality, is a new way of understanding what it means to, what true motion is in our world of Asiyah. As we're supposed to be walkers, and a Jew is a walker amongst the standards, everything is stationary. Everything is stationary and we're supposed to be walkers. We're on the move. Why are we on the move? Because we're on the beam, on the beam of light. And everything else, even angels, it's all stationary. What does curvature mean? Curvature means that the heart is becoming a receptacle. 
because of gravity. The heart is not flat, it's not straight. It has to be a clee. You have to make your heart a clee through, it has to be broken in a certain way. You have to know how to, you have to be a craftsman, an oman, in order to make your heart into a clee. Uncertainty is in the, the world of Priya, the world of the mind. The paradox of the mind, at the level of mind, where once more things are no longer things. In the world of Briyam, Kabbalah says that there are no more things. It's all Hiyoli, it's Homer Gelem. It's some type of pre-matter pre which is not yet, it's not, it's, it's not a thing, it's something else. That's reality in the world, of, that's the true reality in the world of Priya. Which is reforming, totally reforming the mind in accordance with uncertainty. Curvature of space-time is reforming the heart. Special relativity is reforming one's orientation towards action. Right, now we'll stop here for a moment and uh, take a, a breather for two seconds. We're, we're going to have an interim between two, the two seconds. It's not yet the interim, it's just a...